Back in 1982, this is a really sad story, actually. Seven people died because Tylenol, they didn't put those. You know, when you buy a bottle of Tylenol, it has a lot number on it. And it has a sealed thing on when you open it up and it has a child proof and all those different mechanisms to insulate the public from the product. Well, they didn't have that prior to 1982. And some crazy person decided to tamper with some of the Tylenol bottles with cyanide. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Product traceability is extremely complex to implement. If it is mandated by the regulations, you might not have much of a choice. But to shoulder the administration burden imposed by traceability processes, it could be so challenging that it might break your processes while inputting serial numbers during your receive operation. There is also a very thin line in deciding between lot numbers and serial numbers. Finally, the recall management might require you to have the infrastructure set up for the entire recall process. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss product traceability and recall management best practices. We discuss the nuances associated with deciding between when to use the lot versus serial numbers. Finally, we covered many stories related to product traceability and recall management from several industries. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you're joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. And for today, we have a very important topic, which is called uh, product traceability. Some people also call it as thought serial number traceability. So that's what we are going to be just today. And before we do that, we are going to start with uh, everybody's intros. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta, your host and principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital uh, transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move to Chris for his intro. Thanks, Sam. Chris Ghiardini, the uh, owner and CEO of Turnkey Technologies. We're a 28-plus-year Microsoft Dynamics implementation partner. So I've been implementing ERP since the early days, as we'll say, but uh, looking forward to the conversation. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Abu, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure. Uh, my name is Abu. I lead the group here at Penny. We are a Sage X3 partner, so we provide in the food and beverage cannabis manufacturing. So traceability is an important requirement in all those industries and looking forward to Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Abu. Tom, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure, Sam. Thank you. And uh, good to see you guys. My name is Tom Rodden. I am a uh, IT executive. Um, 
longtime IT career guy, uh, 20 plus years now, and um, most recently CIO at Varian Medical Systems, currently consulting on large ERP programs. And uh, in a prior life, I was also uh, running uh, business operations prior to my IT career. I was at GE uh, doing logistics and manufacturing. And, uh, and so I have been involved in uh, some recall discussions and activities, both from an operations point of view as well from an IT point of view. So uh, to Sam's point, this is a critically important topic for many companies in many industries and happy to be talking about it. today. And hopefully we can discuss some of those real life stories. Thank you so much for being here, Tom. Andy, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure. Thanks for inviting me, Sam. My name is Andy Pratico. I've been involved with ERP software for small to mid-sized manufacturers for over 40 years. So I make uh, Cristiano uh, seem like a rookie. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I, I'm in Vancouver, Canada, Vancouver, British Columbia. I worked with manufacturers all over North America. I lived in the U.S. for 11 years. And when I lived in the U.S., my specialty was aerospace and defense contractors. So speaking about traceability or what they call cradle to grave traceability, that's very, very critical in highly regulatory type manufacturing companies. Thank you. Okay. And with your charm, Andy, you are probably going to make everyone look rookie. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, <laughs> Chuck, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yes, sir. Thank you, Sam. Chuck Hockshead. I am a longtime manufacturing professional. I am director of sales and marketing for Turnkey Technologies. And uh, this traceability topic is near and dear to my heart with all the years in nuclear uh, manufacturing, Navy nuclear manufacturing, and defense electronics. Just, uh, so hopefully we can have some stories there uh, between your nuclear versus automotive. I think we are going to have a lot of fun. Thank you so much for being here, Chuck. All right, guys. So if you're joining for the first time and in the audience, make sure you guys post your questions and comments because I don't have a ton of questions. So I rely on your questions uh, to be able to ask on this panel. And we typically try to cover them during the show. If you run out of time, we'll make sure that you are going to receive your answers. On that note, I am going to start with the first question. And maybe, Chris, you can start in setting the stage overall from the product traceability perspective. And I have seen all sorts of scenarios. Um, and some of those were, in some cases, you require traceability, which is going to be obviously mandated by some of these regulatory organizations. And you don't necessarily have a choice but to implement those. Sometimes they are going to be clear in terms of what kind of traceability they are looking for. Sometimes it's sort of going to be gray that, okay, this is the kind of traceability, uh, you know, we. Uh, but in other cases, when you are doing product traceability for internal operations, for example, warranty, etc., it becomes very tricky to decide between serial number, lot numbers. It could be all over the place. So I have seen, uh, you know, things getting mixed up. So maybe you want to set the stage a little bit in terms of what is uh, traceability and how anybody should be. Sure. Thanks, Sam. And so, you know, I can I can talk on a number of points, but let me just get started. So traceability by industry. So we're going to have differences in requirements by industry. I've heard we mentioned, you know, defense and I'm not going to talk about defense. You guys can do that. But in personal experiences and projects, food and, and medical devices, um, a couple that I can talk about. And, you know, in the, in the food context, you know, it's 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 going to be typically lots. Again, there, there could be some serialization and totes and other containers if you're tracking that. But typically you're looking at consumption of lots into larger lots of finished goods. And it could be a hierarchy where. I'm consuming lots of spices, a spice blend into a mix and on up. And, and again, the, the capture of the lots from the initial purchase receipt 
And sometimes there's specific information that travels with a lot. There could be expiration dates. There's a lot of details around that that may be necessary. In the metal space, you may get heat information related to it. But in the food space, lots, expiration, things of that nature. And, and again, the challenge of the ERP is, is, number one, is to capture at the point of receipt. And then at the point where we're doing manufacturing is to accurately capture the lot being used into the next stage of the process. And, you know, and again, if the ERP systems are accustomed well, then you have the ability to come back after the fact and search for a lot number and a lot number or a cereal, whether it's sitting in inventory and it was bought as a finished good serialized, or if it was buried and consumed way, 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 way down the food chain. And that's a big challenge. And one of the challenges in some manufacturing, so food lots, again, we're trying to capture it at the point, every place we use it and make sure that association intact. And again, the strength of the ERP is, can I query on a lot number and have it show me Every product that that lot went into, and moreover, everybody that bought that lot, and I've actually seen some of the food systems that know about recalls, which means you can do a mail merge off of a recall. So they're they're prepared for that. So not all applications are so prepared to do recall mass mailings. Hey, we got a recall. It impacts all of these people that bought this product. So they have automation in a lot of the food applications. In the medical devices, and just to get into an example, again, one of the challenges you look at consuming serialized components, and if we're doing bulk manufacturing. And, and you have to look at your ERP, meaning, hey, I'm making 10 of these and each product has four serialized components. Well, did I get those four? Does the, this product with this cereal know that those four cereals are in there or does it get all mixed up? And there's even some orchestration with how you do production, meaning are you writing MOs for quantity one? They're like, okay, well, but how do I make sure I get those four cereals to this finished good? So there are some nuances to make sure you get the correct associations, first of all. And that's just the data. Well, once the data is right, again, we go back to these search features. But to take it a little further, you know, standard ERPs don't always bill. And I've got one example where, you know, you're thinking about the patient. Oh, well, where do we capture the patient? I'm a medical device manufacturer. All those things, I got lots on the metals that are being consumed into this piece of material that's going to replace your spinal cord. Okay. Well, how do I trace that and who got this one? So we've done augmentation even in this one context. I won't name names, but where we capture the hospital, the physician, and the patient at a line item level along with the product. The product's got a serial number within the serial number on that spinal cord replacement part. Wow, we can chase through lots of materials, et cetera, et cetera. But that visibility and the completeness of that visibility is is really the, the compliance. And I think as the other people on the panel will talk is, you're not going to get business from certain contracts if you can't maintain that compliance. I know Tom comes from a place that's huge. He can probably speak even more depth about medical devices. But as you get into those nuances, I mean, that's part of it. And again, serial lot. Okay, I heard that question. Can I track a serial number and a lot number? Well, not all ERPs will let you do that. They'll give you an either or. Well, what if I need serials and lots? Okay, well, I got a lot of material and there's serials within the lot. So there is some complexity that can show up depending on industry and depending on the types of materials or products that incorporating in that. So um, anyway, I can stop there. There's a lot more I can say. I think that's a good context. So, Chris, I am going to have one follow-up sort of question for you. And one of the things that people, most companies don't realize how much overhead it is going to be just because you are going your lot or senior number uh, processes. Sometimes, you know, people tend to think that, okay, this is going to be a marketing play. We got a lot number. We got a serial number on our product. Okay, how cool is that? And <laughs> then they realize, okay, no, now I have to assign the serial number every time when I'm scanning the product. And let's say if I'm getting a million product, okay, these would be like a penny, uh, you know, for the product, that's how small that could be. And now you have the serial number associated with this. 
Now, you didn't have any reason why you would to have the serial number. You simply assigned it. Now, you're realizing how complex it is. So, I don't know whether you have seen these similar scenarios, but in my mind, I think product cost plays an important role whether you want to have serial number. It does. And even even the, the receiving process, where now we incorporate QR codes, 2D barcodes, so that I've got a box that's got 50 items in there and they're all serials. I don't have to scan each one. I could do a QR and I've now incorporated all those serials into my system or an ASN from a vendor might incorporate all the serials as part of that. But then we've got we've got one caveat for a company that manufactures dental equipment where they're getting finished goods, but the finished good travels with all the serials of all the components in the finished good. And you're thinking, holy cow, that's a two-level deep receiving process. That's custom, right? Most systems aren't going to, they'll scan the serial on the finished good, but they're, what about the subcomponents? So this is custom nuance. And why is that imperative? Is again, warranty replacement what is it serviceable um but you 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 said the key word scanning you know the world of serials and lots to manually be doing it Mm, boy there's a problem because you need the efficiency you heard me say a 2d barcode you you know there's a million serials in that container can i scan them all can i get an asn with all electronic so there's you've got to find efficiency but you need the accuracy otherwise you won't get the compliance you won't win the contract but it is it is labor intensive but that's why you got to go to scanning and again you really have to tear apart your business process to make sure that you know you're able to capture correctly so that articulation of what's that stream of flow and how do i do capture so that i make sure that we're not commingling or hey we're sloppy i don't know i thought that lot number went here here who cares it, it's a big deal so it's not easy, but it is, a, it is a requirement. But if you have the systems to meet the requirement and you get the right automation, like the 2D barcodes and stuff, you can compete for business. Okay, amazing insight there. Thank you for that. So, Abu, I am um, you. And uh, from your perspective, I don't know uh, if you're going to have any other context that you might have had. Uh, when companies think about serial number versus lot numbers and anything that they should be thinking about when they are implementing the product traceability problem. Abu, over to you. Absolutely. So, I mean, lot numbers are generally when you're producing a batch of goods. Yeah. You want to use all the trace based on batches based on the same day production. And serial number would be when you want to go to the individual item level traceability, right? So a bag of peanuts is going to be different than a computer hardware. So the computer hardware, it is each individual item that you're tracing. So that's where typically the uh, serial number uh, rather than the uh, the lot number uh, for the end product. So that's where, you know, so generally in the food, in the pharmaceuticals, in the chemicals uh, industry, it's lot number traceability. And you know, more in hardware side, electronic goods, probably these contracts, it will be more uh, serial number traceability, uh, depending on what you're using. So, uh, so again, chemicals, food tend to be lot, like manufactured, hard goods tend to be serial numbers. So, so traceability is an important concept. So generally, uh, most industry would have one step forward and one step backward. So you are getting a raw material from one from one uh, vendor, which may be getting five other raw materials from you know, their vendor and so on, right? If you company by the time you enter the source raw material. So especially in the, you know, for example, in the cannabis world, they want seed, you know, what you're consuming traceability. So, uh, so it, what they require, one step forward, one step backward. So you must know which customer you've sent the product to and you must know where you bought that individual um, raw material from. So that's an important um, concept. And again, you know, sounds easy, but even at that level, it can be hard to maintain. Uh, the biggest problem that I see which comes in is, uh, you know, obviously the system has to be, right? So your ERP system must be able to support that traceability. So forward traceability, so you're looking at a component and see which work order that was used, right? Where it ended up, or you do a backward, you know, this is a finished code, this is a lot number, and can trace it back down to the 
is the first raw material. Uh, most companies do not have a regular testing process to make sure you know they can trace the product, right? They're, they have the IT systems in place, they're tracking the numbers, but very few even in the food industry would have uh, an actual re mock recall process. I mean, larger companies tend to do it, but in the mid-sized sector, you know, it always gets put back on the back one. The other key issue that I see, especially in the food industry, is you know you're, tra you're tra tracing it, but if the shop floor guy is going out, he's in a rush to produce the orders. He said he's using lot A, but is he actually using lot A, right? Or you know, his supervisor asked him to bring a bag of peanuts to be used, and you ask him to bring lot A. He goes to the rack, finds a bag in front, picks it up, and goes back into his lot A, right? So, so those are the things at that runtime operational level, doing the record keeping, even entering the right data into the system, tends to be uh, tends to be harder or keeping track of, you know, barcoding, scanning definitely helps, but still, uh, you know, in the rush of things, uh, you know, still people make a lot of mistakes, right? So that having that process, that consciousness around making sure the right data is captured is extremely important. And sometimes in the operational level, uh, people tend to overlook it and they're not enough controls in place to enforce that compliance day over day, day over day, which uh, causes companies. So you have some very interesting layers there, okay? And this is the problem that I have seen personally as well, where when you are going to go to shop floor, you know, things are all over the place and you just don't know how to maintain that traceability. In fact, when you look at from the ERP processes perspective, typically the lots are probably going to be assigned when you are going to be receiving your finished goods uh, in the inventory. So you sort of have the loose correlation between the production order that you have released on the production floor. And when you are going to receive the inventory, you sort of are assigning. But when things are good, let's say if you're releasing thousand uh, you know, job orders uh, all together on the production floor and they are going through many different steps, there could be a bottleneck where things might get mixed as well. So from your perspective, when you are looking at these shop floor processes to be able to create the best practices so that these lots don't get mixed, have you seen anything from the system perspective or maybe from the process perspective? Abu, that can be done so that these lots don't get mixed. So there are two ways to do it. You know, when you release a work order, you assign the lot number, right? So that's one way. The other way is when you're actually creating the product, when you're receiving the product, that's when you assign the lot number. You know, in my experience, what I found is when you're receiving the product and that's where if you're, when you're creating the lot number, that probably leads to fewer mistakes rather than when you have created the lot number upfront, right? So again, yeah. depending on lot number methodology, for example, you know, some companies would do it based on year, month, and day, right? So everything that got produced on 21st May, June 2022 gets a lot number, right? But guess what? You have a work order, you already assigned a lot number, but that work order gets delayed. Now you have to go back in and, you know, change the lot number. So, you know, that always causes some issues. In my opinion, it's always, you know, when you're actually doing the creation of the lot and you're assigning a lot number, that makes it less complex um, from a process point of view. And having controls around it, having that, you know, double check around it, right? Uh, one person is and, you know, creating the data, there's a supervisor is checking the data, that sort of process always helps in ensuring uh, that they are into Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for those insights, Abu. Um, Tom, um, so in your industry, obviously, the lot number is going to be far more critical. And we don't really have luxury of mixing the lot numbers on the shop floor that other industries, you know, if you're in food or whatever, you know, sometimes it's okay. Uh, you know, it's not going to be end of the world. Uh, that's how most companies deal with it. So, and by the way, let me see the definition that Abu mentioned overall from the lot and serial number perspective, in my mind, 
that's a very wikipedia uh, you know definition typically there's going to be a significant judgment involved in terms of when to use lot number when to use serial number and that is going to have uh, the overhead on your operational processes so from your perspective when you are deciding whether to use lot number whether to use serial number you know what are some of the things that you have employed when you are working in the industries that you have worked in tom over to you uh <clears throat> thanks sam uh now a lot of good comments by uh, by christian abu already and uh in terms of choosing between lot or serial number for your numbering strategy i i i certainly fundamentally agree with abu's comment that lots tend to be uh, uh i would say less divisible uh situations right where you have a um a container of a liquid or you have um some less easily divisible uh input into your manufacturing process and abu mentioned you know periods of time as well you know a day uh it could be a shift that determines the size of the lot and the length of time that we're spend but i think it's also the the raw materials and inputs um certainly you know in the pharma world you know you'd have different lots based not just on time of day or day date and time but also you know those inputs if you run out of a particular ingredient in most food or drug uh processes you know you cannot go and take another um uh a uh, uh, different raw material input um maybe from another vendor or from another date uh, from the same vendor and say oh I'm just continuing that production order with this input now no that finished good lot has to be closed out and you have to be working on a new lot in terms of a finished good um with that new input uh, even if it were the same day in the same shift you know and all that um you'd need to be able to distinguish that so um so but typically in my experience it's it's a question of divisibility i think i've used the uh, the example of a computer or maybe it was chris i can't remember now but but yes when you have items that are very easily divided into the smallest unit one um then serialization makes a lot more sense uh, sometimes people use the expression a lot of one for a serial number that's that's a lot of one so i i i tend to use that as a general guide you know things that are difficult to divide up now um interestingly i i came across uh a, a company called egg fusion recently i don't know if anybody's heard of these guys but um they actually provide laser etching onto the shells of eggs so typically eggs would be a batch or a lot managed item right um but these guys with this technology are using it in the packaging process as eggs are coming down the line and then getting put into boxes they're etching a serial number onto the egg itself onto the shell in a way that would enable that item which historically would be lot managed to actually be serialized and serial number managed down to the individual egg um now that may sound like overkill but you know eggs are a common uh, source of uh health issues and sometimes recalls uh so that's not uh if it's if it's reasonably inexpensive that is not a a ridiculous thought in terms of the scope of your recall obviously uh if you're managing in bigger groups of units uh, a lot as opposed to serial number individual units you know you might end up having to recall more product because you simply don't manage it in a way even though maybe as christmas and you manage it very well but the management is in 
big buckets. So you're going to have to recall the entire bucket as opposed to maybe a very targeted recall, right? Um, where you'd be managing at an individual item serialized level. So anyway, those are a couple of thoughts around strategy. Do you go with lots or, or serial numbers? I mean, there's a lot in this topic, Sam, that we could talk about, you know, all day for, for weeks, probably in terms of not just the strategy, choosing lots versus serial numbers, but then what's the what's the approach to applying or affixing uh, a number, the strategy to the product or the object? Right. Is it going to be etched, you know, like this laser technology fusion? Is it going to be a, 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 a label that's affixed to it with a serial number or a QR code, as Chris mentioned a couple of times. Um, and, and you know, is it going to be an RFID tag? I, I, I did some work uh, on RFID tags for a while when I was a consultant. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there's all kinds of uh, technologies that could be used for identifying the product uh, strategy and then the, and the technology of affixing or attaching a, a, that, that identifier. And then, you know, you have to be able to read it. You know, we talked a little bit about scanning. Um, one of the things that was very popular for a while, and I don't think RFID ever really fully took off, but, you know, some companies have embraced it. I think McDonald's is using it. Sainsbury's in the UK is using it. Um, I think Walmart is making some use of it, uh, but it, it never really got the traction people expected. Um, nonetheless, you know, it, it allows you through radio frequency uh, to be reading uh, barcodes in mass, like you could, they, 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 they're portal technologies, right? You're, you could have at your gate of your, you know, the dock of your warehouse as products coming in or leaving and you have a portal and you wheel the pallet through, uh, the, the, the RFID tags can be read in mass. Um, and that data, uh, captured, even though you don't have line of sight, the pallet's already assembled. Um, so those are, those are really interesting technologies. Uh, you know, you have to make decisions on that front. And all of that is very techie, right? Then you, then you get to like, what about the, the business process? Like to your point, Sam, receiving, shipping, when do I even introduce this? One of the, one of the interesting uh, topics that came up on one of the projects I was on when we were designing the ERP solution, uh, there was an initially an assumption that, hey, at the time we take the order from the customer, we're going to, we're using batch management. Uh, or lot management in this particular case. So we're going to have that switched on and we're going to assign the batch to the items that, you know, to the quantity that we're going to give to this customer. And uh, it, it kind of echoes some of what Abu was saying about, you know, maybe you don't want to do it as early as possible. Maybe you'd rather do it almost as late as possible to introduce things like this. You know, so they, they found that by introducing it at the sales order process, right, if, if there were a discrepancy in the inventory and that lot, they didn't have the full amount that they thought they would have when they created the order, you know, that would be an issue, right? And the order would have to be reworked. Or if, you know, the material got scrapped in between the time the order was taken and the lot numbers assigned to that particular customer's line item and when it was being picked, you know, again, that's a problem, right? So um, typically in, in, in good business processes I've seen, you know, yeah, you might take the order without batch management, but when you go and pick it and get ready to ship it, that's when you want to be identifying the batch that's going to be associated with that order that goes out to that customer uh, and and so on. So so again, I, there's there's process strategies about timing as to when do you actually introduce this, you know, just like on the receiving end, as I was talking about on the shipping side as well. And again, 
I could uh, go on and on too, uh, like all of us, I think. But um, these are these are interesting topics. Maybe the last thing I'll I'll just add, Sam, is um, uh, when I was doing a little prep for this call, you know, I, I was wondering how how many recalls are there going on out there in the United States, um, and 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 who's driving it? You know, and I, I and I said, okay, there are three agencies involved in recalls. There's the FDA for pharmaceuticals. There's the USDA, the Department of Agriculture for food. And there is um, the, uh, what's it called? The uh, CPSC, the Consumer Product Safety Commission uh, for, you know, other products. And, um, and, I, and I thought, you know, eh, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100, you know, I don't know. And, uh, and it was for the USDA, 120 is the average number of, of product recalls for food in the U.S. per year. 300 recalls by the CPSC uh, issued per year. And 1,200 issued by the FDA per year. And these are the mandatory recalls. These aren't even the voluntary recalls that companies are doing to get out ahead of problems before they, you know, the hammer comes down. Um, so there are thousands of recalls happening. So although people tend to think of this as a infrequent process, it ain't as infrequent as you think. Yeah, so some very interesting commentary as well as the, the story. So I am going to have this brief question to you, and that is going to be about your egg story. And I probably want input from everyone, uh, you know, if they think that, you know, that should have lot. In so typically in my mind, when I think of lot versus serial number, a serial number is going to be something that requires some steps afterwards, meaning if it is going to be either it is going to have some sort of warranty or it requires uh, you to identify that product. For example, let's say if you talk about laptop. Laptops are so different that you have to have the history of that laptop. If you don't have that, you cannot fix it. I cannot assume that whatever is happening in Chuck's laptop is also true for my laptop. That's why the serial number is really important. Now, hold on a second here, okay? So now Egg is actually getting a serial number. So what are we doing with it? Okay, if you are doing the recall, then you can recall based on your lot number. So why are we printing serial number again on, on the egg, uh, Tom? Oh, well, you know, I think it's in order to simply have uh, a more fine control of the uh, what's out there. Um, again, I'm not advocating for it. I was just saying I came across this recently and said it was it was a fascinating um, deviation from what I think of as the general rule, right, of divisibility. You know, I didn't think of eggs as easily divisible, you know, in terms of uh, management. You know, like you can't typically really put a serial number on an egg. When you think about it, you wouldn't think that that's even reasonable. Um, but these guys found a way. I was only saying that there are people who are looking at uh, this uh, question, the strategy question of uh, is it divisible? You know, I think you raised the question of, Sam, is it necessary? Even if it's possible, is it necessary? And I wasn't trying to address that. I was just saying, hey, there, there are people who are changing the game a little bit where you might, you might have historically thought, I can't manage this at a serial number level. It's just not possible. And people are introducing technologies that may render that assumption no longer valid. So again, should you? Is it really necessary? I'm not in the egg industry, so I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what's really driving that need, but uh, but it was an interesting uh, technology shift. That was my point. It's definitely interesting, and I'll add some more colors there <clears throat> just to build on that. So I have seen this happening in the pharma industry, and in the pharma industry, you require the manufacturing serial number along with lot number that Chris was uh, trying to mention. 
because they have to have the end-to-end serializability or I don't know, they GSCSA is the the organization that mandates that you have to have the manufacturer serial number printed on each uh, you know pill that you are consuming. I don't know if they have introduced that in the agriculture as well. That could be the reason why they are doing this uh, for eggs. Uh, but very, very, very interesting. Thank yeah. you so much, Sam. Okay, Andy, uh, so coming to you, uh, you know, from your perspective, whatever you have seen, lot versus serial number, um, and the processes in your industry. Well, everyone's been making some very interesting comments. Um, you know, there was talk about uh, Chris in the electronics business, and, you know, that sometimes they call that configuration management because commonly the lot number is the receiving lot from your vendor. And then steel or an electronic component or whatever else, you're able to trace it all the way through your production facility out to the customer site for recalls or any kind of challenge um, uh, uh, versus a serial number, which is usually identified on one specific item. As a, uh, so there could be a lot of 10 things, each one having its own individual serial number. Um, and configuration management means that in that electronics device, not only is the main uh, finished product have a serial number, it also has a serial number on probably of the board or some of the components inside as well. And they're all traceable. Um, you know, going further with what Chris was talking about, some systems cannot handle both lot and serial. That's very, very true. Uh, but even further, some companies need more than that. You know, there's some companies that need steel, steel fabricators, for example. They need a heat treat to be able to heat treat number to be able to trace. There's certifications in all different ends to be traced. So there's all other types of components that you want to attach or com- have along with that lot number or serial number when you're tracing and have it available. Um, you know, I mentioned I'd been in the aerospace business. Um, if you think about, and the, and the expression cradle to grave, if you think about an a, a airplane flying overhead and a bolt shears off the airplane wing <laughs> and lands in your backyard or whatever the case, they have to trace that bolt back through the manufacturing facility, back through the raw material of the steel from the vendor so they can recall all of them, right? right now. And that's one of the huge benefits of that type of traceability. But I'll, I'll tell a little story and I'm going to age myself and, and prove to Chris I've actually been in this business probably when he was a child. Uh, <laughs> does everyone, now I'm going to age myself here. Does everyone remember in 1982 when we had the Tylenol scan? Okay, I got one person. I got one hand up. Okay, two hands up. Okay, well, we're, we're all, all three of us are aging. In 19, this is when traceability became forefront, became all part of general pop culture, if you want to call it that. Uh, back in 1982, this is a really sad story, actually. Seven people died because Tylenol, they didn't put those, you know, you know, when you buy a bottle of Tylenol, it has a lot number on it. And it has a sealed thing on when you open it up and it has a child proof and all those different mechanisms to insulate the public from the product. Well, they didn't have that prior to 1982. And some crazy person decided to tamper with some of the Tylenol bottles with cyanide. I know, seven people seven people died. And that was the beginning of true lot traceability. And before you know it, now everyone just sees that thing to what that's what a Tylenol bottle is. It's always been that way, but not true. That was uh, 1982, and, uh, and I think I was one year old then. Over to you, Sam. Yeah, so some very interesting commentary. By the way, you got me on that because obviously that was the time when I was born. So obviously I'm not going to know about these things. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, on that story, okay? So there's a there's a little layer to it. And that is going to build up on what Tom 
was trying to say why you need the that manufacturing traceability yeah. and even if you have the lot and serial number uh, you know back from 1980s i yeah. don't think that was enough for pharma and that's the reason why dscsa is oh, trying to change not. this okay oh, so definitely. now it's been now a Exactly. Right. So now, what they need is they need the whole ASN. Okay, whatever is going on yeah, in the package, whoever is touching the package throughout the supply chain, you need complete data object flowing complete through your supply chain. Mixture formula of that product, exactly. Including cases. Okay, if yes, anybody touches the case, if you are going to even replace the wrapper, they want to know about it. because this thing could happen you know and now we are living in a world it's a crazy world anything yeah. could happen <laughs> so great story any any well, other follow up comments on for you sam yeah please <laughs> i i always have history lessons for you <laughs> i know i know i know <laughs> awesome uh thank you so much andy so chuck i'm actually coming to you so from your perspective obviously you had a lot of different defense stories so i am very uh, interested in hearing those so tell us you know any Things related to lot and serial number that you have seen. Uh, you're on mute. Yeah. So one of the things that I mean, the the egg story uh, actually is really fascinating to me because eggs aside, I don't know how they're going to recall half my omelet. But in the defense, there is this this move to um, laser mark and micro laser mark uh, each individual part. This is an old thing. They began to research this. I would say probably 15 years ago, uh, where it became a real issue. Interestingly enough, it, it's the reason for the slow adoption is one how do you get the micro stamping done how do you do it without damaging the part most importantly how do you read it okay it's this is not the kind of thing that you can read with a conventional barcode reader you know yeah. and rfid really wasn't commercialized at that point so there's definitely some process on the input and the output that really needs to be considered and you you have this requirement it flows down to a lot of small companies it can really cause mm-hmm. it and there's a couple other things that i that you know i think about that take into account so it's really a function oftentimes of risk pharmaceuticals high risk defense high risk airplane high risk food not as high risk but high risk okay and at nuclear energy where i have some experience extraordinarily high risk so the higher the risk the more likely they're going to want to reduce the uh, traceability down to the item uh, raw materials versus individuals already been discussed okay but um the things that really jump out at me are process issues particularly when you get into small company okay so my controller is not going to be very happy with me if i get to you know a fraction of a lot and i'm tossing them out because i have a 25 piece order but i only have 16 parts you know uh, oh heck with it you know i've got a problem so you start getting into physical process issues where you have to separate lots you know so because when it comes to traceability a part number is not a part number each part number slash lot number slash serial number slash heat number is a completely different inventoried part okay both data and physical handling and they need to be separated they need to be handled as such and so oftentimes when you get that particularly in a smaller company with less of a sophisticated ERP you're going to have a problem and you're going to have to manually manipulate that and it jacks up your cost so you have these you, you have these process issues that are really truly crucial and from the defense perspective they put additional requirements on i have received many in order with single lot manufacturing requirements where you cannot split a lot at any level from raw material up through the finished good. And so it makes that that much you now you have two choices, right? You put in the data system, you put in the manufacturing handling process, the segregation or I don't take your order, you know. And nobody wants to do that, but honestly sometimes that can be valid and we I've actually done that. And I will just uh, add one last one that I really find 
be really interesting. Working in the semiconductor industry, there's actually a really good reason for traceability analysis related performance testing. So when you build semiconductors, you know, it's not everyone performs great. You know, they build, you know, as you fall off the edges, some don't perform quite the same. Well, when you have an issue with one, those engineers may want to go back, find the chips or the items that are from a similar lot so that they can use them to diagnose failure mode analysis in semiconductor. So that's long before it hits the floor. You know, that's ensuring product, you know, product conformance, um, you know, long before it hits the, you know, long before it hits the, the uh, shipping docket. So there's so many cool process related things there that just, they're just all kind of rolling through my head. Thanks. Yeah. And since you are talking about, uh, you know, processes, I'm actually going to tell you my story and I'm pretty sure you're going to have, uh, you know, a story there related to the processes as well. And to be honest, I mean, I find this particular story extremely fascinating. And I always say this to my customers that, you know what, data and systems are only going to do so much. You need this thing at the process level. You need to have very clear boundaries. And sometimes you need to accommodate that as part of your manufacturing as well as product process. So here, the story that I'm talking about, Chuck, in this particular case, they were producing needles. Okay, like really sharp needles. Now you have to punch hole in the needles. And I'm like, okay, how do you do that? I don't know. I mean, you have to flow through your needles through the production process. So it's not the box that is flowing. It's the individual needle that is flowing across the machines. And that is going through the production process. They have to measure the quality. And by the way, these are medical devices because, you know, you have to measure the tolerance. So now I'm like, okay, and in this particular case, you are not supposed to be mixing the needles. It has to be the same material. You have to have the end-to-end traceability. So what they had done is they had a steel coil that they used to produce. They had to weld the, the needle on top of your coil. And that used to sort of flow through the entire production process. And at the end of the process, they'll take out the needle and they'll... That I found really fascinating. Obviously, there are cost implication because you are literally consuming a lot more steel to produce the needle, which is probably going to require far less steel. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I just find it fascinating. I don't know if you have similar stories and that you might be able to so uh, I, in some sort. I do have one and it does involve a recall. And it's actually a different port part of the semiconductor industry and it's very defense related. In times of semiconductor shortages, this becomes amplified. Anybody's heard of those. So what happens is there are gray market products that are produced. There are counterfeit products that are produced. And in the defense business, they go out of their way to you know, make sure that you're not using counterfeit products. However, every once in a while, they end up in the supply chain because we are dealing with humans after all, not just data structure. And interestingly enough, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a recall because something failed. It was that they found out that gray market semiconductors got into the mix. And the way to do it is the detective work is process of elimination. I know all the valid numbers from all of the you know, non-counterfeit parts. Everything else is suspect and has to be isolated. Now, they can copy those serial numbers, but the chances of them being the same, you know, but that, that was actually the forensic analysis. It wasn't the typical traceability reason that we're talking about. It's say, okay, which ones have the gray market so I don't have to pay for these things? They didn't meet their contract obligation. I want all my money back, and you're probably not going to be subject to a, co- a contract anytime soon. It's a, it's a commerce re- and that it, it was real, and honestly, company went out of business. Love that story. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Chuck, for that. Uh, Chris, I'm coming to you. 
Uh, any comments over comments or any other stories that you might be able to press over to you? Uh, you are on mute, Chris, if you are talking. It's still on mute, sorry. You know, again, some good perspectives on the trace. And I think as you look at the efficiency and ROI, right? And and do we do it for just the purposes? Usability. So I always come back to that where a lot of people say, oh, you way to capture this. But I think as you vet the systems and the capability, and, and again, by industry, right? Is it usable? What's the capture method? How's the trace work? You know, who am I trying to support that with? And I think one comment we didn't make about quality process, if we're doing lot trace and we're doing some of these things, this is our quality process that helps us kind of kind of catch some of the problems that may be coming down the path. But, uh, you know, as we just look at systems technology and, and how well do they work from a trace? I mean, that's one of the things that I continue to dig into as we look at the requirements for the customer to support. Through, you know, and again, other did I have another story for you? I thought I did. We've got a human tissue manufacturer. Oops. That's an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> And you're like, okay, where did that go? And you think about, where do I write that? Where's that serial number at? Where's that traceability on? So now we enter in a world of complexity to the nth degree. Now we're not just talking about foods or electronics or medical devices. We're talking about a material that's going to go into your body. Um, and so the, the, the scrutiny on these guys is you look at the data they have to collect. And this is where standard out-of-the-box ERP, and I heard heat numbers. And a lot of times a heat number travels as a lot attribute. Maybe it needs to be separate. But as we get into the tissue space with these guys, um, again, there's so much more traceability that even comes from that. Back to, you're thinking lot numbers, now we go back to donors and we've got all kinds of stuff like that. But uh, another story I have with another client that does actually glass um, extrusion. And so they're making the real, real thin little bitty glass that goes into ID bottles. And, um, and one of the things we talk about lot mixing, these folks actually mix multiple lots in a batch. And that's an interesting topic as you bring up, as you think about this, you know, single batch, single production run, meaning, you know, from a best practices standpoint, should they have five lots in one production batch? I think that gets vague and that could actually get more compromising as opposed to uh, the segmentation, meaning, hey, if we've only got enough material in this lot, do you break your work order and say, I made 50 pieces this lot, 75 pieces this lot, versus me saying, hey, I made 125 and I have no idea what lots and what products. And I think that's another best practice as we have this conversation. I look at how they're operating. Their but it goes back to cost and it goes back to manufacturing operation. And can they stop the operation if they're excluding glass and can they do small runs or do they have to get into consuming lots of lots, lots of lots in a single batch? And again, now we're going to go back to buy industry. I think in foods, is it is it common practice to incorporate multiple lot numbers in a single batch of food? Gets interesting. They have multiple lots into a single batch of extruded glass. Same type of thing. Back to Tom's comment about serialized eggs. You know, how does that magnify the recall or minimize the recall? Or is it, how do you know that that was the egg that caused the contamination? And then you go back to what I said about quality and testing. Do you really have any data to say, oh, it's that one egg, but you put a thousand eggs in the batch? Again, and I think that rationalizing, you know, for the, for the audience here is, you know, what is the best practice? How much should you track? Should you track cereals on every component? Can you capture it? Can you consume it? Can you find it? And, and again, I think we'll have more closing comments about that. But I think that as we look at by industry, again, you heard me talk about glass, you know, the human tissue. And again, where's where's it make the most sense? And again, do we have to segment lots into production runs so that we don't commingle? Again, it's a by industry comment. Okay, amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Abu, I'm coming to you. And uh, any comments over comments? Any stories? And you are on mute as well, Abu. And I don't know if it is because of the delay of a stream yard, I believe so. No, I'm on mute. <laughs> so we have talked about lots and serial numbers and, you know, especially in the pharmaceuticals and, you know, again, the cannabis world, you have to sometimes track multiple aspects, right? So you have lot numbers and then 
you have potency, for example. It's true for pharmaceutical, it's true for the cannabis world. And that potencies, they can change, right? So you create a lot. Now you have a potency, for example, for 7.3%. For the same product, you're doing manufacturing the same thing. You can have a 7.4% or 7.35%. So you have to track that traceability uh, individually and separately. Uh, one story that I have is, you know, uh, I was involved in oil and gas industry and they tried to implement traceability. So we have talked a lot about heat numbers over here. And what they had was they did it, they sold pipes, you know, line pipes for oil and gas drilling or transmission. And they wanted back heat numbers. But, you know, the way the pipes are stored is a certain length. So you have a hundred, you know, 10 meter, 20 meter, 30 meter length, and it's stored in, in a big pile on a large piece of ground, right? There's no, you can't put a 10 meter pipe into a rack or something. And you, you get all of that and it's all, it gets commingled, right? It's a big rack. You cannot control where, which heat number pipe is with which spot on the rack. So, and then when you're going to sell that uh, pipe, you cannot track each and every heat number while you're doing the sales order or you're doing the inventory movement because the heat number can be on top, it can be the, at the very end of the pipe, it can be at the beginning, Three pipes can be on top of each other and, you know, you can't spot the heat number. You can have bring in all the scanning technologies. They cannot still scan the heat number. And the, what happened at the end is that pipe goes into the ground. It gets corroded. It gets cut off. It gets welded. So so they tried to implement it in that industry. Then they gave it up, right? So it's just too complex to uh, to measure it. Uh, one other thing, I've, you know, we have done is we've talked a lot about the internal processes, right? But one thing that's really important is the external processes. We have a product we call especially in the food industry, now what? So it can involve your marketing department, you know, how yeah. to do a public relations item. Yeah. What sort of, you know, processes you have internally to investigate it? How do you contact the customers, right? If you do not have the tools in place, people are even designing a letterhead, you know, how do we inform the customer? Do we need legal to review this letter before it goes out or not, right? So you don't want to be doing those things at the end. You know, a lot of people think about internal processes, but external processes when something does go wrong, uh, quite important. Yeah, could not agree more. Thank you so much, Abu, for that. Uh, so, Tom, uh, any comments over comments? Any stories? Uh, a couple of maybe quick things. Um, one, uh, some of what uh, uh, a couple of different uh, panelists have said uh, echoed with me on things like uh, the level of serialization. Uh, I worked as a uh, uh, in the IT shop at Varian, where there was a lot of discussion around. Um, Surely the finished goods, the what was sold to the customer would be serialized. And um, then the, uh, the the levels, you know, with with thousands of parts going into these machines that were being sold to hospitals and clinics uh, and, and down to you know, screws and bolts, uh, nuts. And um, the uh, the question came up, you know, how do we serialize everything? Is it like the airline industry? Um, and the conclusion was no. Uh, and then if you say no, then you say, well, then where do you draw the line? You saying yes, it would be easy. Saying no makes this a much more complex and controversial topic. And so, for example, um, people got into the, uh, you know, agreed any, any subcomponent that is potentially a, what they would call a field replaceable unit should be serialized. If we're going to have field service engineers go out and swap out parts and do repairs then that needs to be a serialized uh, item, even though it's not a finished good that we sell typically. So there, there's a whole strategy, I think, around the levels of serialization, and it, it comes down to business process again, 
coming back to you know what what Chuck was talking about. Um, so that was that was one example where you know the the strategy of serialization that was embraced had a much deeper challenge where we said well, at what level do you stop? What's necessary? What's what's going to help our business? Um, and so uh, uh, that's one one story. I, you know, like Chuck, uh, one of the companies I was once a consultant to, uh, but that was producing NIC cards, network interface cards um, that were serialized. Uh, they found the black market or gray market issue uh, to be a great use case um, where they had all of their data and customers were returning NIC cards that they had bought not from the vendor, the actual manufacturer, they had bought from somebody else on the black or the gray market. And then they said, oh, you know, we don't need them anymore or they're you know, maybe some were defective and we want to return these. And they tried to return them to the true manufacturer. And when the serial numbers were reviewed, it was clear that this customer had not been buying these from the real supplier of these products. So, so that was a very interesting use case, similar to what Chuck was talking about. Um, and, and I thought, you know, again, uh, Abu was talking about the external processes, and I totally agree. You know, that needs to be thought through. Once you identify the need for a recall, how do you execute? Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the ERP and IT stuff as well, like the internal processes. Um, so one of the uh, one of the questions I think you had asked us as a group, Sam, uh, as we were getting ready for this, was you know, like, how do you even manage this in a, in a warehouse or on you know in, in in the manufacturing process as you're staging product and storing product? Uh, and you know one of the things that uh, I, I was involved in on several projects was in the ERP system, making sure that the goods receipt process uh, took a lot number or batch number from vendors into account. So when we would develop a, an automated put away strategy from the dock to the bins in the warehouse, you might already have product XYZ in a bin and it's only occupying half of the bin space. So uh, logically, if it were more of product XYZ, a couple more cartons, you might say, well, we'll put it right in that same bin um, because it's all XYZ. But in fact, it's two different lots. So if you have the intelligence and the capability to put the strategy, that automated put-away strategy together uh, or in place. You, know, you can direct the material so that it says, oh no, uh, I think as, as, I don't know if it was Abu or, or Chris was saying, you know, that's, a, that's a completely different product. Uh, it's not the same as XYZ in the bin that we have already. This is XYZ that needs to go someplace else. It needs to be segregated. So just the, the management uh, of, of the product, the lots, um, is is critically important, um, and and you can em, embrace it and build it into your business processes, and and accept that this is a, the cost of doing business. But hopefully, you can minimize that cost, and you can automate a lot of that. So whether it's the scanning uh, at time of issue or it's you know at time of receipt, uh, you can leverage that information to optimize your processes. Okay, amazing insight. Thank you so much, Tom. So, Andy, we are super tight on time. Any um, super short comments? Uh, you are on mute as well. I see that. Um, well, no, I mean, everybody's covered the topic very well. I mean, the whole, per like what Chris was saying, the whole purpose or what companies are forced to do traceability are usually regulatory compliant, but of course, recalls, uh, electronics, you know, equipment, all those kinds of companies. Uh, but you really have to look at the ROI on the effort, because there is a lot of effort, 
and uh, see if it justifies the potential business you're gaining. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Andy. Uh, Chuck, uh, super short uh, comments. Uh, you are on <laughs> Super short. Imagine the day when the Star Trek technology exists where you can scan an item and you can tell each one, every Tylenol pill has an individual personality, an individual signature. Combine that with blockchain. Wow, we're going to be having a different conversation. Here's a punchline. That exists today and I know where to find it. Okay, amazing. And uh, typically we do the closing advice. So Chuck, I am going to let you do closing advice for everybody today. Uh, do you have any closing advice for our listeners? The higher the risk, the more you need to take this seriously. Straight up. Do not go into your industry and target your market. If it's high risk, man, take it serious from minute one. Love it. Thank you so much, Chuck. On that note, uh, thank you so much for joining everyone. That's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our uh, digital transformation series for which we meet every uh, Thursday. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another uh, topic on that note. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in tonight. Thanks, everybody. Good seeing you all. See you. Good night. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing the knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Abu Asif, head over to pennymanagement.com. It's P-A-N-N-I-M-A-N-A-G-E-M-E-N-T.com. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini or Chuck Coxhead, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's C-O-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about Tom Rodden, follow and connect with him on LinkedIn. If you want to learn more about NDE Practical, head over to essoft.com. It's essoft.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Amos Klima, who shares his insights into the automated testing for ERP. Also, the interview with Richard Labobis, who shares his insights into procurement prioritization and its impact on scheduling and inventory. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.